Take your copy now of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. This morning we close out our consideration of the eight Beatitudes with the last one, Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. This, of course, does not finish the Sermon on the Mount. This finishes essentially the prelude. Let's hear now Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Father, now we commit the preaching of your word into your hands. Again, we pray, grant that your Holy Spirit would work among us. Soften our hearts. Lord, let us not be like the three soils that reject the word, but like the fourth, which brings forth the fruit of it. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. For the past nine years, Jack Phillips has been in and out of court after he refused to bake a cake celebrating uh, the union of a same-sex couple. A 20-second conversation has cost him dearly. Recently, he's been sued again. You'll remember that Jack uh, won a Supreme Court uh, hearing in which they defended his right to free speech. But Jack has been sued again for refusing to bake a cake celebrating a man who considers himself a woman and wanted a cake to announce it. This man is an attorney who says that if he loses this lawsuit, he will simply file another one. He will be back again and again. Now, there are plenty of bakers who will bake the cake. This is not about a cake. This man wants Jack. We know 
This is not about a cake at all. This is about war. And the war is not with Jack Phillips. It's not with Masterpiece's cake designs. The war is with God. We know that the world is at war with God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this becomes sort of the, the, the hinge pin or the fulcrum upon which everything rests. When God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between your children and the children of the devil. Now this was fleshed out in the very next chapter, wasn't it? When Cain rose up against his brother and shed his blood. And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? The reality within which we live is one in which men want a God, but they don't want His terms. They acknowledge in every way that they are made in the image of God and yet reject His rule. We would have our own God. Because these are the conditions of your reality. Jesus teaches you in the last beatitude that Christians must expect evil treatment of many sorts for living righteously and for proclaiming Christ, but should be encouraged, not discouraged by this treatment. Jesus is reminding you to expect evil treatment in this life for living righteously and for proclaiming Christ, but that when you are treated evilly, not to be discouraged, but to take hope, to take heart. First, we see in this beatitude the promise of persecution. Boy, if there's anything that is clear in the scriptures, it is that those who wish to live righteously or who wish to speak in God's behalf will suffer persecution. Jesus tells us to expect persecution in this life. Notice one little word in verse 11. Blessed are you when others Revile you. The Greek term could be translated whenever. Whenever others revile you. Jesus reminds us that persecution is a certainty for His people in this life. And He goes on and reminds us, listen, not only is it a certainty because I'm telling you it's a certainty, but you can look back at the history of God's people and know that persecution will come. Look at Verse 12, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is a long history, the Lord is saying to you, of those who have stood up for the right, bearing the hostility of the world. 
We can think about Elisha. Elisha, who seemingly comes out of nowhere in 1 Kings chapter 17 to stand against wicked King Ahab and declare to him famine throughout the land. Well, what was the result of this? Ahab saying, I relent of my rebellion against the Most High? No. Ahab and his wife seeking to put Elijah to death. So much so that we read in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah fled into the wilderness to get away from Jezebel's threats. And he was afraid, we read in 1 Kings 19.3. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah was persecuted to the extent that he wanted to die. Or you think again about the life of Jeremiah. A man who, who bears a burden, who said that the word of God was like a flame in his bones. He couldn't keep it in even if he wanted to. God called him to this ministry. And yet, what was his reception? We read in Jeremiah chapter 20. Now, Pasher, listen, not some foreign king. son of Emer, the priest who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying. Then Pasher beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. This was, this was no foreign king. This was his own man. The man to whom Jeremiah would have brought his lamb or his bull and his goat. He comes bearing the word of God. And he is put in the stocks. He was not persecuted by Gentiles, but by Jews. Jesus tells us to expect persecution by the pattern of what has gone before. But Jesus goes on and he teaches us, look at the nature of the persecution that we are to expect. What, what kind will it be? How are we going to be treated? We notice in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Reviling is, is reproaching. It's, it's mocking. You think, think again about the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Hey, Baldy, hey, Baldy. The children come calling after him, mocking him, reviling him. How silly you look. How foolish you are. What a stupid man to insist that we should pray. You think of First Peter chapter 4. Verse 14. Turn over there with me if you would. 
First Peter chapter 4. Remember, when we get to Peter's letter, he's writing to a people who are being severely persecuted by the state. The Roman emperor... Peter warns them things will get worse very soon. Verse 12 of 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed You see that word there? If you are insulted, mocked, made fun of, Christ Himself was spat upon. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You will be reviled. You will be mocked. People will make fun of you. They will call you a fool. They will tell you that you look silly. They will tell you that the worship of this God or your living in His behalf is a stupid thing to do. You will be reviled. You will be persecuted. You remember last week we saw that this word persecute was used in a different sense. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, you and I are commanded to persecute people. You remember that? Our persecution, though, is a persecution of peace. It's the same word. Strive, we are told, for peace with other men. Here, though, we are told that other men will strive with us. We will be persecuted, pursued, gone after. We pursue good for others, but we are pursued for evil purposes. We can see this today. We know that the LGBTQ movement does not merely want to be tolerated. It does not merely want the freedom to express itself. It also wants to be shut up all of those who would say anything against it, even in private. Even here, we will be persecuted, pursued. Do not think that if your simple wish is to go and to live a quiet life out on your piece of property, wherever that may be, to take your family into the woods, that you can live quietly there. If you profess faith, you will be pursued The objective of unregenerate man is to stamp out the voice of God wherever it can be found. Remember, this was Paul's purpose. When he persecuted the church, he didn't say, I will sit here in Tarsus until men come to me, and if anybody arises in my city, I will shut them up. No, Paul went wherever there was a rumor of Christ. And did not spare men, women, or children. This is the meaning of persecution. Not only will you be mocked, not only will you be pursued, 
But your expectation also is that men will slander you. This is the last one there if you go back to Matthew chapter 5. Men will speak all kinds of evil against you. You need to understand what this means. This does not mean that men will just run you down or mock you. This literally means that men will make things up to slander you with. Men will seek to run down your reputation with false things. They will lie about you. Listen to Jeremiah 37 verses 11 to 14. Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people, his inheritance. When he was at the Benjamin gate, remember that from before where he was in the stocks, a sentry named Erijah, the son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet saying, you are deserting for the Chaldeans. You're a traitor. Look at him. He's fleeing his people. He's turning us over. He's fighting for the enemy. Jeremiah said, it is a lie. I am not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Erijah would not listen to him. And seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. Men will lie about you. To bring you harm. You cannot look into the history of the church without observing periods, sometime of intense persecution and sometimes less persecution. We think about people who lived under the reign of Nero, people who were fitted with wax shirts and hung upon crosses and lighted on fire to light his garden. But it wasn't always that way. We are reminded by Harry Bohr in his history of the church. He said there are types of persecution other than constant exposure to charges, trial, imprisonment, or death. Listen to how Christians were treated in the Roman Empire prior to Constantine. Christians in the empire were not equals before the law. With other citizens, they suffered much from adverse popular opinion against them. They were regarded as haters of mankind, bad citizens, disloyal to the empire. Besides these unfavorable attitudes, they had often to endure unfair administration of justice. Discrimination in opportunities to work. And social inequality. In our day of racial, tribal, and other kinds of discrimination against minorities, we can grasp an understanding for this kind of persecution. To this, Christians were more or less universally and constantly exposed in the empire until Constantine made Christianity religio licita, a legal religion. You will be persecuted. 
It may not always be overt. It may be an unjust trial. But you must expect it. And one of the things that we are made to expect under this, these terms is that we, 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 we bookend this, don't we, against the last beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. How do these two go together? Why is it that we would go into the world with an olive branch in our right hand announcing the opportunity for peace and we're, we're treated with mockery? Pursuit? Lying accusations? Jesus reminds us that our peacemaking is not a negotiation. God Himself has set out the terms of peace. He gives a treaty of peace written in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you, you and I are reminded, this, this offer, this overture of peace will not be accepted by all men. And you and I don't have the right, it is not the, the, the work of the church to go out and to, to formulate peace. It's not to bring men to the table and say, hey, let's figure out a compromise. We're not arbitrators, we're not mediators, we are ambassadors who go out and say, here are the terms of peace, take them or not. And we are reminded that many who hear the message of peace will violently reject it. Unregenerate men, listen to me, spend their lives shoveling dirt over the revelation of God's existence. We were talking at the youth retreat and about the, the, the difficulty in understanding that that God calls missionaries, God appoints missionaries, missionaries go where God appoints. But some men will never have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should make us weep. But we ought to remember, though, every man under heaven sits under a 24-hour-a-day sermon on the existence of God. The creation itself, we are told from Psalm 19, cries out day after day, night after night. And not only that, but Romans 2, 14 through 16, remind us that men's conscience bears them witness that there is a God so that none will be ex excused. So the work of man is to shovel dirt onto that revelation. He works day in and day out to shut up his conscience. Do not convict me of sin. Do not tell me of the existence of God. And so you come along and you give his conscience a voice. You bring a bullhorn to creation. And not only do you tell mankind that God exists, but that in fact he is in violation of God's law. How would he respond? Violence. He's like a little boy sitting on the carpet, building a house of cards. 
and you open the door and that little gust of wind causes him to start all over again, that's why you are persecuted. That's why Christians must expect persecution. Hostility. Our peacemaking is not a negotiation. But Jesus goes on here. He elaborates. Secondly, not only does he tell us to expect persecution, that it is a certain thing, he tells us the reason for persecution. In fact, I would suggest to you that he gives you two reasons. Notice in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted, first of all, for righteousness' sake. There's... In some sense, I think, a passive idea of persecution. We don't go out seeking persecution. You and I don't go out and poke men in the eye, and then when they slap us in the face, we say, oh, persecution. First of all, you ought to be persecuted or can expect persecution for righteousness' sake. This simply means that you will be persecuted for conformity to God's law. And the more that you seek to live righteous before a holy God, simply to be obedient, you will be persecuted. Those who seek to live a life of obedience to Christ should expect to be persecuted. This this was Paul's warning to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Those who wish to live a godly life will be persecuted, no matter where you live. My parents used to talk to my sister and me about certain members of our family who were very private in their faith. So private, it would seem that perhaps Jesus wasn't even aware of it. Every single one of you, sometimes at multiple points in the day, will have to choose either to obey Christ or to be liked. Children in school are going to have to choose whether to obey Christ or to be liked. Whether to give in and slide the paper over so your classmate can copy or to skip the class or to tell your friends, your parents that you're going to spend the night with a friend when you're out with your boyfriend. You will have to choose to obey Christ or to be liked. And that choice is hard No one would say it isn't. And you will expect persecution for choosing to do the right thing. Not to cheat on your taxes. To drive the speed limit. Not to discriminate. Living righteously before the Lord. To obey the Sabbath day. You will be persecuted. But we're not only persecuted for doing righteousness... There's an active sort. Notice in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here's a second reason. 
Not only for leaving right, living righteously, but for proclaiming Christ. This is the active sense, I think. Not only because we choose to do the right thing, but because we, we go out into our neighborhoods, into our friends and families, in our places of work, and we proclaim Christ. We remind men that the only way for them to be reconciled to Almighty God is by the blood of Christ. In Acts chapter 17, we are told of how Paul went to the city of Thessalonica. And it was his pattern, his practice to go into the synagogue. And he would open the Bible and he would teach them two things. He would show them from the Hebrew scriptures why the Messiah had to die. And secondly, that that Messiah was the man Christ Jesus. And we're told by Luke that some of the people in Thessalonica, some influential people, were persuaded to follow after Paul and the apostles. But there were some other men who were persuaded in a different direction. They were persuaded that Paul's time in Thessalonica had come to an end, and he needed to go. And so they shooed him out, but not in some gentle way. No, they went out into the city, and they got the rabble, and they brought them around, and they said, let's create a hubbub. And then they accused the whole thing on Paul. They slandered him for pronouncing the message of Christ. You will not only be persecuted for proclaiming Christ. Listen, you will not only be persecuted for proclaiming Christ, but for seeking to honor him with your life. This is why Jesus warned in Luke 6.26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Something's not right. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus tells us to expect persecution. He tells us the reason for persecution. And then thirdly, the result. What an odd thing this is. Blessed are you. What? Really? Blessed? Notice the text, verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Verse 11, blessed are you. This is in the Greek and emphatic. You yourselves. It's an emphatic double pronouncement. There's no other blessing in the Beatitudes that's said twice. And you would say, well, there's no other one that's needed twice. You are blessed when you are persecuted. Why? Because you possess the kingdom of heaven. Not, not merely will possess, it's yours. Every time, every time you make the decision to live righteously for Christ and you are mocked because of it, you're so stupid. You don't go with us to this event because of Christ. I mean, come on. It's such a little thing. You won't join with us in our gossip? What's the matter with you, goody two-shoes? You know that you possess the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed 
you understand why the Jews would have needed this, right? Because they come from a history in which hostility against them is not a sign of God's favor. It is a sign of judgment. Wasn't it Jeremiah who said, look, from the north an army is coming against you because you're disobedient? Now we're told that God's plan is changing. Not his plan for salvation, but no longer are the people of God going to be those who inhabit a single place. But God's people are going to be those who live in and amongst the world. They go out into the world. They live right next to the sons of the devil. They aren't in an occupied geography, a piece of land where they can build walls and borders to protect themselves. No, they will carry the message of the gospel into the world, walking alongside the sons of disobedience. And guess what? This time, you understand that when you are persecuted, it's not a sign that you are fighting and striving to obtain a land. It is a sign that you already possess it. He goes on, look what he says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. Literally, he says, your wage, your earning is great in heaven. Every, listen. We we lament, and rightly so, our Canadian brothers who are being thrown out of their churches for seeking to be faithful to Christ. You know about this. Or our Iranian brothers who are sharing the gospel and seeing Muslims come to Christ day after day or our North Korean brothers. But do you understand that every single time they are persecuted for righteousness sake that their wages in heaven grow? Every temporal loss is an eternal gain. Every job lost on earth because of Christ is an eternal gain. So that Paul could say, whatsoever is lost to me, I count gain for Christ. Great is your wage in heaven. So that he can conclude, the Lord can, rejoice and be glad When you lose your job, rejoice and be glad. When your trial before the judge is unjust, he won't listen to you because you're a Christian. You're one of them. You're one of the nothings. As the Corinthians were. You rejoice. Why? Because this is not a sign of God's frown. This is an indication that you are doing exactly what you ought to do. Be careful. You cannot cut people off in traffic with a Jesus sticker on your bumper and count that as persecution. Please take off your Jesus sticker if you're doing that. In Acts 5.14, though, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy 
to suffer for the name of Christ. And did you notice when we read in 1 Peter 4, these words one more time, for if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory rests upon you. Verse 13, but rejoice. Look, in, in, in so far... Insofar as here and now you share in Christ's sufferings, remember that there you will share in his glory. You are never ever at the mercy of a hostile world. You know that because Jesus can foretell what has happening, happened. It is part of his decree. God in his infinite wisdom has ordained seasons of peace and seasons of difficulty, all for our growth and grace. And so it is in this light, listen to me, it is in this light that Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not win the football game, but endure suffering. Christians must expect evil treatment. You have to expect it. For all sorts, of many sorts, for living righteously and for proclaiming Christ. But when that happens, be encouraged, rejoice, take comfort, be hopeful. Are you prepared to suffer for the faith? Are you prepared to be rejected, to be scoffed at? to be fired, to be shunned, to be excluded because you choose to follow Christ? Are you praying for your persecuted brothers and sisters? Are you mindful of their stories? Are you supporting them as you are able? Let me give you one very practical consideration. Tuesday is the day of the international martyr. Persecution.com, Voice of the Martyrs, is a wonderful ministry, and you ought to be familiar with it. Persecution.com, pray for your brothers and sisters around the world. As you leave today, leave remembering that you go into a warring world with a message of peace. You're going to face persecution as your Savior did. But also remember that you and I will reach a, reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bear up under the hostility of the world knowing that Christ himself has borne the worst of it. Christ himself has borne the greatest of the hostility. A perfect man. A man who was completely and perfectly righteous. and yet was dumped. into the crucifier's hands so that Barabbas, a liar and a thief and a murderer and a rabble-rouser could go free. There's our picture. There's my picture. Father, We don't want to lose jobs. 
We don't want to put our families at risk. We think we're doing that. We don't want to suffer. We are, we're frail. We're weak. We are cowards. So Father, we come to you, we appeal to you now that by your spirit you would give us courage. We know you've not given us a spirit of fear, that fear that we, fa- that we feel as we think about what the world could be coming to is not from you. Lord, help us to go forward boldly, knowing in whom we have believed, and to count it a joy when we're canceled for the sake of Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.